All right, if you'll turn with me actually in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I kind of want to, at least this week uh, and next week, certainly for sure, we'll see where we go from there as far as what pace we're able to take, uh, use this as uh, our text to kind of come into a greater understanding again of this aspect, as I mentioned, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit among meetings, among gatherings or assembly times of the Lord's people. That is the manifestation of the spiritual gifts, what the Bible has a lot to say about, but the manifestation of spiritual gifts during times when the church gathers. When we assemble together as the Lord's people and come together for a gathering, what does God say in Scripture is the proper operation of the Holy Spirit as he is at work and activity is happening amongst his people. And again, we want to let the Spirit of God, in light of that, let the Spirit of God, who actually, remember, wrote and recorded the Word of God, be the one to give us clarity on that. Again, if we're wanting to be open and accurate in regards to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the safest and wisest thing we can do is go to the Word of God because it's the very Spirit of God himself who inspired and gave us the Scripture. Uh, and again, God is, is not uh, kind of, you know, in any way going to be bipolar or schizophrenic. What God says, God means. So if God's word states it, then we can trust that that's accurate. If God's word challenges something that we have a thought about regarding the Holy Spirit or his ministry, then we should let the authority of God's word govern our ideas and not just patterns and ideas maybe that we bring. And, and again, I say these things because... Look, we need to be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us as God's people. God help us if we ever become a Christian or we ever become a congregation or church that is no longer willing in faith to be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us. Uh, we need the life of the Spirit of God. We need the divine power of the Holy Spirit in our meetings if we're to experience everything that God wants for us in our Christian lives. If we're to experience everything God wants for us as a church in the fullness of all of what New Testament Christianity is. And we have to be careful. And I emphasize that because... A lot of what tends to take place is maybe we have seen certain what we would consider abuses of things that maybe pertain to the gifts of the Holy Spirit or maybe certain hyper charismatic circles. And maybe we've seen some things that have made us a little uneasy or we don't agree with or maybe even we were a part of uh, you know, a church or a ministry like that. And, and we kind of fly way to the other spectrum and we kind of just shut down altogether and we can begin to, unfortunately, begin to quench the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and the way I guess I would relate to that is, let me say this, if you see someone, okay, watch one of these documentaries and let's say you see a documentary about a person who's, say, like a, you know, a 700 pound obese person, right? It's obvious that to some degree they've abused the use of food. Now, just because you see the abuse of food doesn't mean you should say, well, I'm not eating food anymore. If that's what food can do to a person, I'm not touching food ever again. No, that, that's not the right answer, right? There are some people who abuse medicines and abuse prescriptions, right, in our culture. 
Do we stop taking medicine? Is the right answer to stop using prescriptions or stop using medicine because some people have abused it? Of course not. It's not to stop using what's been abused and shut down and stay away from it. It's to understand what is the proper use of that in moderation. What is the appropriate use and still be open to those things because we realize that food and medicine have great value. Well, listen, in the same way food and medicine has great value, the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God has great value to our lives as Christians and among the assembly of the Lord's people. When we come together, there are things that we need and the Lord wants for us. But yet, that being said, we also in balance need to operate in the boundaries of Scripture. And again, that it's the Holy Spirit who wrote the Holy Scripture. And so the Holy Scripture is going to govern and regulate what is true and accurate of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's important for this reason. In the same way, it's not right to not be open to the Holy Spirit. It's also not appropriate not to operate within the regulation, the boundaries of Scripture regarding what is genuinely of the Holy Spirit. Because we can very easily, if we are not careful be experiencing something that may not be of the Holy Spirit, it may just be of the human spirit. Hyper-emotionalism or just learned patterns or behaviors that we've seen or observed maybe you know, in our upbringing or that people have kind of adopted as a part of a, a church gathering. And if we don't utilize the Holy Spirit's teaching of Scripture, then we're relying on unsteady and unreliable ideas. And that's never a good thing to do. Our own human ideas or feelings... Shocker can sometimes be wrong, right? That song we sing, my heart deceives me, my spirit lies. You know, and, and again, our hearts can be wrong. We can have feelings that are genuinely, they're real feelings, but they're not right feelings. I have those about every day. They're, they're real feelings, but they're not right feelings. We can have real ideas, but they're not right ideas, And so we have to be careful. That's why we want to be open. But yet at the same time, we want to submit to what the word of God says as the right ideas about these things. And the other danger too, if we we don't stick to the word of God, is there, as I said, are learned patterns that maybe are taught by others among the church. Maybe people we love and respect that love the Lord and they, they genuinely love Jesus, but yet maybe they're misguided in regards to the manifestation of the Spirit and how the gifts operate and and maybe we've observed some things in meetings that we've been a part of. Look, my very first experiences, even before I was a Christian and right after I became a Christian, was with a completely different circle of churches. And, And in hindsight, now in my maturity and having a better grasp on the Word of God, I look back and I realize some of those things, I don't really see that in the Word of God. Uh, They were considered to be a part of this is what the Holy Spirit's doing and all the excitement and hoopla, but I realize now in in a biblical context that I can't necessarily say those things were of the Holy Spirit. Some of it might have just been a little hyper-emotionalism in the human spirit sometimes, but not necessarily of the Holy Spirit of God himself. And again, I'm not saying those things may be wrong, but we just have to be careful we're not being misguided and getting out of order from God's design. And it does. I can just give you one example. It does appear that, for example, that sometimes we can have this perception, and this is a common perception, so I'm going to use this as an illustration. We can have a very common perception when we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how when the Holy Spirit starts to really work in people's lives or among a gathering or a meeting, 
we almost kind of perceive naturally that when the Holy Spirit really starts to move in a meeting, that that what that's going to result in is that there's always then going to be, for example, like very strong emotional experiences. And when the Spirit starts to move, people are really going to get spirited. Do you know what I mean? So all of a sudden we think, well, if the Spirit of God's going to move in a meeting, that what we equate that to is, well, then that means like everybody's going to kind of get charged. It's going to, you know, kind of like a crowd into hysteria. There's going to be very strong emotional experiences, right? People's voices are going to change. If somebody speaks, if, if it's of the Spirit, you know, heard somebody speak before and they you know, presume or, or give the indication they're speaking something from the Lord and then their, their tone of voice changes. What's the need of that? But see, it's almost like because the, the voice tone changed, like the Holy Spirit changed your vocal cords. And so we just perceive, well, that sounds more spiritual or we're praying in a more spiritual manner. Or sometimes we think that when the Spirit of God begins to move that we have to get extra loud or extra hyper. There's going to be a lot of emotions and people are going to be weeping and crying. And look, I'm not saying those things cannot be at times something directed by the Spirit, but it's not necessary that those things happen. It, it's not automatic that when the Spirit of God moves that hysteria or hyper-emotionalism needs to happen. That's nowhere in the Scripture. That's just kind of a human perception. Do you see what I'm saying? And so we have to be careful of these kind of things, that somehow if the Spirit moves, we're afraid, well, if we really allow ourselves to be open to the Spirit, well, things are going to get random and things are going to get out of control a little bit and chaotic. Look, the Bible says that God's not the author of confusion, Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians 14. And he says, let all things be done decently and in order. I, I could almost summarize this entire time of somewhat of doing a... a you know, series on this by just saying that it seems like most Christians, instead of being balanced, fall into one of those two camps of the last verse of 1 Corinthians 14. Let all things be done decently in order. Some of us have come from maybe church backgrounds where it was let all things be done. Right? And that was, hey, we, we are open to the Spirit here, so let all things be done. You don't stop anything, hold back anything, question anything. If the Spirit's moving, hey, just let all things be done. And whatever people wanted to do, it was just, it was quantified. That is just the Holy Spirit moving, man. And some of us have kind of maybe, and then others of us maybe have come from the other side where everything must be decent and in order. And we don't let anything be done because we need to stay decent and we need to stay in order. And we're not going to get into that weird, hyper, charismatic, spiritual type stuff that our brothers and sisters in Christ over here are getting into. We love them, but <laughs> we're not getting like them. They get too excited over there. And so we're afraid of that. So everything decent and in order, and there's such a restricted, kind of fearful, regulated thing that, you know, w w everything is so decent and orderly, we never give room for the Holy Spirit to work. We're afraid to allow an opportunity in a meeting for just kind of the Spirit of the Lord to maybe direct what may be happening in a time of waiting on the Lord. And again, neither one of those are good. We want to be balanced. Look, things can be done decently and in order and, and, and can happen in a very beautiful, harmonious way. We're, we're allowing for things to take place and they're happening in a beautiful, peaceful way. It's very uplifting. I've been in meetings where the Spirit of the Lord is just moving in wonderful ways. And you can just sense the presence of God and the power of God and have seen the gifts of the Spirit be in operation for extended times together with believers and nothing got weird. Nothing got awkward. 
Nothing got uncomfortable. There was very much uplifting and beautiful and wonderful byproducts. Look, the goal and purpose of church meetings, kind of take it to your mind this way. The goal and purpose of church meetings really is twofold. It's the glorification of Jesus. And by that, what I mean is that no flesh is glorying in God's presence. The goal and purpose of corporate meetings of the Lord's people is the glorification of Jesus. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he'll testify that which is of me. So when the Spirit of God is moving, people aren't becoming the center of attention. And so if something is of the Spirit, it's not going to draw attention to a person. It's not going to draw attention to the flesh. It's not going to cause everybody to say, wow, he is spiritual. Wow, she is spiritual or cause such an interruption or a distraction that it kind of takes the focus off of the Lord, right? Maybe we've all seen that where something happens and it's like all the focus goes off the Lord and all the attention goes on a person because of the way they're behaving or what they're doing. That's not of the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord glorifies Jesus. And secondarily, the second aim of a corporate meeting coming together, God's people, is not only the glorification of the Lord, but the spiritual help of one another. That were channels of the Spirit to build each other up, to serve and to benefit one another, not trying to somehow gain something for ourselves, but that we're seeking in love, being led by the love of the Spirit to help each other. Now, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, and you're thinking, wow, finally, he's done that. Sorry, but I, I needed to kind of lay those things as a backdrop. We are going to get to the text, I promise as a backdrop to kind of some of what we're, we're looking at that'll kind of help be some things that you can hang some, uh, you know, uh, kind of things upon like nails on a wall as we go through, as you think through some of those things in this text in the midst of it. First Corinthians 14 has a backdrop and an important backdrop. It is really kind of like the summary chapter from chapters 11 through 14. Because 1 Corinthians 11, 12, 13, and 14, Paul there, by the Spirit of the Lord, is particularly uh, seeking to give corrective guidance and instruction regarding the manifestation of the Spirit among the Lord's people when they gather together for meetings and how the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate properly by God's design. His specific concern is during church assemblies. In fact, you'll notice repeated phrases again and again, like when you come together or when you come together as a church. In fact, glance back with me just to chapter 11 when this section starts. I'll, I'll show you what I mean by that. Chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 17. Okay, this is kind of as this section of, of gatherings and meetings begins to get established. Paul says, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together. There's our phrase. It's repeated a lot in the next section. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Imagine that, people in the church wanting to be recognized as spiritual. Verse 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, notice there's a third time already, when you come together in one place for a meeting, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another 
is drunk? What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? He says, I do not praise you. And then, of course, Paul begins to talk about and give instructions for how to partake of communion and to observe communion, the purpose of it and the way that we should go about it. But again, you begin to see this idea. You notice, if you would there, the particular, again, reference in verse 17 when he's talking about coming together. And do you see what he says at the end of verse 17? He says, when you come together as a church for a meeting, he says, verse 17, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Imagine that. You see what Paul's saying there? Paul's saying, when you come together for a meeting, it should actually make everybody leave doing better spiritually. And Paul was saying to the church of Corinth, I need to give you guys some instruction and corrective guidance because you're having meetings and it's actually becoming worse for people spiritually than it is better for people. Now, that's a strong testament that God's people can get together for gatherings and worship and meetings. And if they're not staying in tune genuinely what the Holy Spirit is doing, in our human spirit, we can begin to do things, allow things, behave in ways, and conduct ourselves where we're actually not receiving something that makes us better spiritually. It's actually hindering us spiritually because we're getting caught into things that aren't really biblical, that don't really benefit us in the way that God would have us to. So chapter 14, when he comes to it, if you'll turn back there with me, he now at this point, as he's been talking about the ministry of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and unity in the body of Christ in chapter 12, and then chapter 13, the emphasis of love being the most supreme and important thing in all the work of the Spirit. Chapter 14 now, he mainly focuses on speaking gifts. That is, the speaking gifts of the Holy Spirit's ministry, and by that, I mean the gifts of the Spirit when they're in operation, they're more, listen, public. They're more recognized. Do you notice that there's not a whole lot of debate in the church and people don't get super concerned about like the gift of helps, the gift of ministry, which is basically like people who are just inclined to like clean bathrooms and dump trash cans and go mow somebody's lawn or go shovel somebody's snow and nobody ever knows what they do, but they're just inclined to be a very helpful person. They're just a servant-hearted person who's kind of just one of the, that's, that's their thing. They have an aptitude for just good works and that is a genuine spiritual gift. But people don't get caught up. There's not a lot of debate in the church over that, but boy, oh boy, things like speaking in tongues, prophecy, that's stuff that gets a lot of attention publicly when everybody's listening and everybody's around and can see what's going on. It's amazing how that becomes such, a, such an issue among the body of Christ and how much contention that's even caused among the, the church collectively. So he's going to focus on these more outward things where we're more easily noticed when they're happening. So verse 1, look what he says. He says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. But especially, he says, that you may prophesy. So notice, we should indeed long for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It, we should desire. That word desire there could be translated to lust after. It implies strong, intense yearning. So there should be a strong, intense yearning in your heart and my heart as a Christian, and when we come together as the church collectively, that we are desiring to see the gifts of the Spirit at work among us. 
that we want to allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in our midst, that we should desire the things of the Spirit and his manifestation among us in the gifts and operation. But notice the reason, Paul says here, it should be because we love one another and we actually want to serve one another. And we actually want to do things to help one another and strengthen one another spiritually. Do you notice very clearly, look at verse 1, very clearly the Holy Spirit's purposeful order there? Pursue love first, then desire spiritual gifts. Do you notice the order and the priority that the Spirit of God is making about this issue of spiritual gifts? That the Spirit of God says, look, pursue love first. Make your motivation and your reason why you want to be open to these things and operate and flow in them. Make your motivation and reason be you want to operate in those things because you love people. And that you're seeking to pursue love and as you're pursuing love and love is your heart, that that would be what would make you desire spiritual gifts then. Because Lord, we love one another. And because we love one another, we want to help each other. We want to strengthen each other and build each other up and help one another along in our spiritual lives and speak words into each other's lives that will be words of insight and help and direction and guidance and uplifting and comforting and exhortation. So, Lord, because we love each other, please, Lord, we want the gifts of your spirit to be at work, not pursue attention and desire spiritual gifts. See, what's the reason that we want to operate in spiritual gifts? Is it because we want to pursue attention? We want to be seen as spiritual or feel like we're spiritual because we're able to do something in a public setting or in a meeting where people become impressed with us? Look, that's of the flesh. That's of the human spirit. He says, no, pursue love. And if you're pursuing love, then you desire spiritual gifts. And again, then love will be the regulator of how we practice those spiritual gifts. And see, that's important too, that love not only be the reason, but that love would be the regulator of how we practice and exercise the gifts of the Spirit, because what does love do? Well, Paul just said in the last chapter in an extensive way, 1 Corinthians 13, that love considers others. Paul says love, remember what he said? Love doesn't parade itself. Well, that's insightful for sometimes the public speaking verbal gifts of the Holy Spirit that everybody can take notice of. Love doesn't parade itself. It, it doesn't try and draw attention to itself. It doesn't want people to be focused on it. Love, he says, doesn't seek its own. That is, it seeks the benefit and the welfare of other people. He says, love doesn't behave rudely. What does it mean to behave rudely? It, it means that you don't take into consideration other people's comfort. You don't take into consideration what's in the interest of others. All you're caring about is I want to do my thing. And if it distracts you, bothers you, or makes you uncomfortable, uh, sorry, that's called rude. <laughs> and he says, love doesn't behave rudely. So love does the opposite. Love says, I don't want to stumble somebody. I don't want to make somebody uncomfortable. I don't want to do something. So therefore, out of love, I'm going to evaluate what would be in the best interest of someone else. So how I would behave or what I would speak or whether I would choose to speak or not. Paul's going to say later, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. It's not like all of a sudden when the Holy Spirit moves, we go into this state of ecstasy and we lose control and, and just we're kind of unable and the Holy Spirit just takes over control of us. That's not how it works. Paul says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. We don't lose control. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't make you or make me do things where we have no control. He empowers us and gives us the ability to yield to those things. So again, he says, pursue love, then desire spiritual gifts. And he says, in light of that, especially that you may prophesy. And again, the reason is because prophecy is speech that is inspired and directed by the Lord that is going to benefit other people. Prophecy, we know biblically, is just speaking forth a word for God. That's what prophecy is. It can be foretelling, telling the future, because God knows the future, but that's not all prophecy is. Prophecy is not just foretelling the future. It is basically forthtelling. It is just telling people what God wants to be said. It's allowing yourself to just be the telephone, if you would, that God can talk through you and the sound comes through the device. It's allowing yourself to be the megaphone or the microphone. You're just the instrument through which someone else is speaking and people are hearing what the one who's speaking is saying. And so when we allow ourselves to be open, to be used by the Lord, to speak a prophetic word or to be exercising the gift of prophecy in a New Testament sense, that's what we're doing. We're being used by the Lord to speak his word. Now that benefits people. That's why he says, especially Focus on prophecy. If your heart is love and you desire the gifts, he says, especially desire that you can prophesy. Look at verse two. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church paul says i wish you all spoke with tongues but even more that you prophesied for you prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification so what paul does here in these first few verses is he lays out the contrast between these two very prominent speaking gifts of prophecy and and speaking in tongues, or we might say praying in tongues, maybe in a more formal sense. He lays out a contrast between them and then also talks here about the purpose and the value and the benefit of each one of these gifts. He mentions here particularly the main concepts, uh, should you begin to lose a train of thought in this, the main concepts he's trying to convey, first of all, is the direction of the speech and the difference between speaking in tongues and prophecy, the direction of the speech. And what he's going to say very simply is the direction of speech in tongues is it is speech directed to God vertically, that that's the direction. When someone is speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, that the direction of their speech is Godward. It's not horizontal. It's not speech to people. It is speech to God, directly to God. And he's going to say prophecy in contrast the direction of that speech, it's speech directed to people. It is ideas coming from God, words coming from God through you as a vessel or me as a vessel to then speak to people. So prophecy, I'm speaking to God, or excuse me, prophecy, I'm speaking to people. Tongues, the Bible says, we're actually speaking to God, and that's very important to quantify the difference between those two gifts. And the benefit of using the gift, he's going to say here, is tongues is a spiritual gift to benefit and edify and build up ourselves spiritually, where prophecy is a spiritual gift that God is intended to help others spiritually in their lives. He says, verse two, again, look at the very clear language. He who speaks in a tongue 
does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he's speaking mysteries. Now, what is exactly this idea of praying or speaking in tongues biblically? We've talked about the definition before, but speaking in tongues is basically a supernatural ability that the Holy Spirit gives to a believer to be able to communicate to God in prayer, in praise, in thanksgiving, in a language that they have never naturally learned or studied. That is the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, who remember, God knows all languages, right? We always have to remember that. God doesn't just speak English. And we kind of just kind of, we think that because like I pray in English. We, and so we just kind of think, well, well, that must be God's first language is English, right? Well, look, God is people who love Jesus all over the world. There are people praying in Chinese and Portuguese and French and Russian and Polish and, and, and all, all the languages of the earth. God is a God of all nations and God knows every language. So it's not complicated for a God of all languages by his Holy Spirit miraculously to empower another person to be able to communicate to him who knows all languages in a language that they've never learned or studied before. It's supernatural, yes, but all the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit are supernatural. They're not natural. So it is the God-given ability by the Holy Spirit to communicate to God in prayer and praise and thanksgiving in a way that you are using a language that you do not even understand in your own mind. You've never learned it. You've never studied it. It's the ability to continue onward in your communication to God beyond your logic or intellect, to carry on in prayer, to continue on in praise. Yeah, I don't know about you, but sometimes like the, you ever notice that the, like the English language or just your ability to speak, you almost sometimes feel like, Lord, I want to say more, but I don't even know what words to use. Lord, I want to pray further, but I don't even know what to say. I can't even bring the words together. And it's in those moments that God, by his grace, can give this gift of the spirit to be at work in our life, to help us to then bypass our mind and our logical thinking and to continue on in our prayer or to continue on in our praise and our worship towards the Lord in a supernatural way. Again, no one, he says, understands. It's a, the person in their spirit speaking mysteries, things that are unclear even to them. But again, the emphasis, verse 2, he speaks in a tongue he does not speak to men, but to God. Now, that's very important because if you're ever in a meeting where someone prays in tongues out loud as a part of a meeting, whether it's with five or six people gather together in a little meeting of believers or in a church gathering or meeting and somebody prays in tongues and then someone gets up afterwards or indicates afterwards that they have the interpretation of that tongue. Well, that interpretation should not sound like a message directed to people. And I've seen that. I've been in settings where that's happened, where somebody prays in tongues and then afterwards just giving an illustration, somebody says something like, my holy children, be clean and rid yourselves of sin and walk in holiness for I am coming soon. Now listen, that may be a prophecy 
And maybe it's a legitimate prophecy. I'm not going to judge someone else's heart. That may be a legitimate prophetic word to speak to the people of God, to give them, and maybe they were stirred in their spirit because somebody prayed in tongues and so they just felt stirred and so they uttered something. But the reality is that's biblical ignorance to think that that's a proper interpretation of speaking in tongues. Because speaking in tongues, he says, is when someone is not speaking to men, but to God. So a biblical interpretation of if someone prays in tongues, and look, I've been a part of meetings with other believers where I've seen this in operation scripturally and wonderfully, where somebody has felt led to pray in tongues and somebody gave a genuine biblical interpretation afterwards. But that interpretation should sound something like, if I could illustrate, like a psalm or like a praise song or a hymn. The idea is it should be speech directed Godward. Oh Lord, how great you are. We magnify your name. You are good. It should be speech to God if it's interpreted as a result of somebody speaking in tongues because when somebody is praying or speaking in tongues it's speech directed to God so the interpretation should clarify that and confirm that that's what's going on so again very important we want to make sure we understand I've also been a part of meetings where someone has prayed in a tongue and then somebody afterwards felt led that that was the interpretation and, and had to graciously say not many times but once or twice in my Christian experience in pastoral ministry you know what we, we, can't, we can't receive that as, as an interpretation because that doesn't line up with what the scripture says so let's keep praying and let's wait on the Lord but, but that's not a biblical interpretation. Maybe that's a word of encouragement God wanted to give to us, but let's keep waiting. And then Paul's going to say later in the chapter, if there is no interpreter, then no one should pray in tongues anymore in that meeting. He says, if there's not an interpreter present, someone who has that gift, then that should cease. Because Paul's going to say in these chapters that, that the value of speaking in tongues has no benefit. No one understands it and gets anything out of it if, if nobody can understand what's being conveyed if that person in their own language that they don't even understand is speaking to God. So in light of that, he says, verse three now, the contrast, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So again, prophecy, unlike tongues, which is speaking to, to God, prophecy is speaking to men. It's God giving you thoughts, giving you ideas or words, putting something on your heart to speak a word to people, to men on his behalf. And he gives three distinctive characteristics, notice, of a spirit-led biblical prophecy. Three characteristics. The first thing he says is prophecy should have one of these distinctives. It should be characterized by edification. Edification speaks of building up. We get the word edifice, right? That's the idea of building up strengthening the ideas there to build someone up, to edify them. So if somebody speaks prophecy, it, that's one of the characteristics that it should have, if not the other two that he mentions. It should be a word, some message God puts on a person's heart that when they speak it, it really builds someone else up. It strengthens them spiritually. It causes them to be built up in their faith through their spiritual life. Secondly, he says prophecy also, if not edification, it should include then exhortation. And exhortation, you might say, is, is to stir up. It's to encourage someone to act. That's what exhortation is. It's a strong encouragement to act. That is, you know the right thing to do, but exhortation or encouragement is, look, you need to get going. 
You need to obey the Lord in this area. You need to walk it out. You need to step out in faith. And an exhortation is basically, again, it's a challenge. So here's where maybe there can be a little bit more of a, you know, of a, of a uh, reproving, encouraging, strong charge to someone. You're exhorting them in their life to act, to do the right thing, uh, and to respond in the right way. And a third distinctive of prophecy is, he says, they're to comfort men. So another way we can tell if it's a spirit-led prophecy is it should be words spoken that cheer somebody up. So you might say, again, if you like little rhyming phrases, to build up, to stir up, or to cheer up. How do we know if that was a spirit-led prophecy, what somebody just said? Well, it should have either built somebody up, it should have stirred somebody up to do what's right and follow the Lord in some way in their life, or it should be cheering people up. It should be comforting them. The idea is speaking assurance to people about God's love, assuring people of God's faithfulness and you know God's grace and that God's going to help them, giving them promises, hey, God's going to come through. And maybe in light of some real difficulty, maybe somebody's going through a really hard time. And, and is just in a real hardship and maybe nobody knows but God that they're going through something really hard in their life. Maybe they're in the midst of something really miserable or they're heartbroken or maybe they've failed recently and God may put a prophetic word on someone's heart to speak in a way to comfort that person who's failed, that God's grace is going to be sufficient. And that the Lord's going to get them through this. And despite the consequences that, that the Lord is saying, look, I don't care who's abandoned you. I'm not going to abandon you. And it may just be a word to just really comfort their heart and let them know God still loves them. And he's going to carry them through what they're going through or some word to comfort them in the midst of some heartbreaking experience that just really ministers to their heart. And again, prophecy, as you take note, biblically here, therefore is predominantly, you might say, somewhat positive and uplifting the bible does not portray prophecy in a new testament sense as that which is something that makes people feel miserable but yet sometimes we think well hey if the spirit is moving i'm gonna speak something because somebody needs to feel miserable in here somebody needs to be condemned right somebody needs to be beaten and trodden down the world didn't do a good enough job and if the devil missed them i'm gonna get them while they're at church Right? And, and, and sometimes we almost feel like there's something more holy about that. The Bible says, no, spirit-led prophecy edifies, strengthens, comforts, builds people up. That is, it's uplifting. It actually helps people to feel better as a result of receiving it, not discouraged. They're uplifted. It helps a person spiritually. And a prophecy, be careful, is not the same thing as a prepared teaching. Right? That's a whole other spiritual gift. The gift to be able to study and, you know, collectively put together thoughts and explanation and application from the word of God and convey that that's a spiritual gift as well. That's a gift of teaching. But a prophecy or prophecy, the exercise of it is not a prepared teaching. There's not the same thing. Now, I believe prophecy can happen in the midst of teaching that in the midst of a teaching being given that God can bring a, a timely word, maybe something that wasn't forethought or something that wasn't prepared and yet the Spirit of the Lord just impresses to say something. And maybe it's just a sentence or two, but a prophecy usually is just kind of a short, simple statement or two, three statements, just something very concise. So if you feel the Lord's putting something on your heart, it shouldn't be a 30-minute sermon. It's not your opportunity to, hey, I've been wanting to preach 
about this eschatological idea I've been having. And so, you know what? I just, <laughs> I just, it, that, that's, that's different. That's probably your human spirit again. A prophecy is the Lord just really is impressing something on your heart with a burden that, hey, I wasn't planning on this, but I really feel like the Lord wants me to speak this, to stir someone up, to do what's right, or to comfort them, or to strengthen or build them up in some way. Paul says, he who speaks in a tongue, notice as well, this is important, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now take notice there as well. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It's speech to God, prayer, praise, thanksgiving to God. And here we see the purpose, the primary value and reason God gave this spiritual gift. It's for self-edification. It is the only New Testament spiritual gift that is intended for self-edification to actually be utilized by the believer to help themselves, to unburden their own soul, or to be able in some way to build up your own soul. And look, that's how that gift exercises. I know it. I, I operate in that gift from time to time in my life, and I understand it is a gift, a blessed gift of the Spirit of God to be able to utilize in a way for my own personal spiritual edification to unburden my soul or to be able to continue in my praise toward the Lord in such a way that it builds me up spiritually because it's something happening between me and God in a divine way. But he says, he who prophesies edifies the church. So the, the primary purpose of tongues is for use for self-edification where prophecy is intended for the mutual edification of the church body. Now, I think that's why Paul keeps saying in this text, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. And then he says, I wish you all, verse 5, spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. The whole point Paul's trying to make there is, is yes, the gift of speaking in tongues has a purpose, but its primary value and purpose is in the believer's own self-edification. It really is a very minimal value to other people. Unless on the rare occasion, it is more of the exception rather than the rule that somehow it's able to be interpreted so others can understand and benefit from it. But he's saying prophecy, clear, understandable speech that builds people up, and comforts people and strengthens people and helps people, he says, that's especially the greatest thing that we should be seeking for because that's what benefits everybody else. That's why I believe, in light of that, why the gift of speaking in tongues really, I believe, has a very limited use in the public assembly when the people of the Lord are gathered together because there are much more valuable and beneficial things that we need when we come together as the body of Christ, like teaching and encouragement and comfort and instruction and guidance where we're edifying and building each other up, not listening to somebody pray in tongues and going, he's having a great time, but I have no idea what's going on there. She seems to be worshiping the Lord, but I have the faintest clue. Why? Because they're, they're uttering things in mysteries that are happening between them and the Lord. 
And so in the public gathering, therefore, it really many ways lacks the value and the impact. That's why he says he who prophesies is greater. It's a much greater benefit, he's saying, to be able to do that instead. Verse 6, Paul then says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Again, notice this idea. What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. So Paul says, look, when I come to you, and he says, I I wish everybody spoke with tongues. Paul's not diminishing the value of the gift. Don't misunderstand. But he's saying, but when I come to you, again, he's talking, when we come together in a meeting, he says, if I come to you and I just start speaking in tongues, how is that really going to profit you, Paul says? What benefit are you really going to get out of listening to me in my prayer language, praying to God, if you don't have the faintest idea what I'm praying or saying, and honestly, Paul's saying, I don't even know what I'm saying in my own intellect. My spirit is just praying mysteries and I'm uttering things to God in communication to him. So he's saying, of what profit or value is it to you unless, he says, I'm able to speak either a revelation, that is God reveals something to me that I can share that would be helpful to you, or he says, if I'm able to speak to you and impart some knowledge that is helping you increase in the knowledge of God or something that helps you to have a better understanding of the ways of God. I impart biblical knowledge or sound doctrine, he says, or by prophesying, which we've talked about, or by a teaching, by a prepared teaching, that the word of God prepared and shared under the anointing of the Spirit. He says, these are the things, clear and understandable speech, that have value. They have benefit when a meeting is going on of the Lord's People Again, the aim of a gathering predominantly, the Bible is trying to tell us, is the glorification of Jesus and the mutual edification of each other in the body of Christ. That when we're speaking to one another, we want to use clear and understandable speech foremost because that's what we can actually benefit from. That's what we profit from in our lives. And if we love one another, that's what we want to do. So to kind of illustrate this, Paul says, verse 7, even things without life whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, verse 9, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. So what Paul's doing here is he's making an argument for clarity, for understandable sounds, for words that are articulated that are actually, he says, verse 9 there, easy to understand so that you can say, okay, yeah, I understand what that means. I, I, I get something out of that. I benefit from hearing that. And he uses the analogy here of both music and the military he uses the analogy of music there in verse 7 saying like with instruments a flute or a harp or some musical instrument when somebody uses a musical instrument right tommy stays up here tonight and he uses the the guitar and he plays and because he knows what he's doing there are certain melodies and notes g's and c's and d's and when he plays them you can follow the melody and you can sing along now if i were to pick up the guitar and to begin to just bang on it and it would be a bunch of noise, you would still hear something, but you wouldn't be able to sing along, I assure you. 
You probably wouldn't want to sing along. You would just feel very uncomfortable and say, can you please stop? You're making me uncomfortable. I'm getting nothing out of that and I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Well, that's kind of the same idea. If somebody's speaking in a way where it's clearly understood, you could say, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking with you. I get that. There's profit to that. There's value to that. That's ministering to me. I can connect with it. But if somebody begins, Paul saying to just start praying in tongues and you're, it's like banging on a piano or you know, whacking on a guitar, you're going, I don't have any idea what's going on and I'm starting to feel uncomfortable now. And that's the idea. He says, same thing with like a trumpet. They would use certain sounds to rally an army or muster for you know, time to, to eat at the mess hall or, or those kind of things. He says, it's the distinction in towns, sounds. He says, so likewise, unless you utter words easy to understand, how will it be known? It'll be like you're just speaking into the air. Verse 10, he says, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, which is good, he says, let it be, notice again, for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So again, he uses the idea of languages. You know, he says there are all kinds of languages. They all have distinction and they all have purposes. They all have a significance. But he's saying, if you don't understand the language, can you get anything out of the conversation? You know, who's been somewhere before to a foreign country, right? Where maybe you're in an airport, you're in a foreign country and everyone else around you is speaking a different language that you don't know, right? It, it almost is a little like, makes you feel a little like uneasy, like unsettled because you're thinking, I have no idea. <laughs> I know they're saying something but I have no idea what's going on. I feel so disconnected and I actually feel a little bit uneasy and uncomfortable. Well, this is kind of the analogy he's drawing with if, if people are putting all this hyper emphasis on speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, and he's saying, it, it, people, I, I don't have any idea what's going on. I can't connect with it. And so a lot of times if you can't connect with it, then it almost makes people feel uncomfortable because they feel like they're not somehow participating in the process and it just sounds like gibberish to them, though it may be genuine communication to God. So that's why he says, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who seeks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So if you should feel led to do that, he says, in the midst of a, a, a gathering, I think typically small gatherings are the best places for this. I don't think in the midst of a large corporate gathering, if you take the context of this whole chapter, that, that it becomes the, the most healthy and appropriate place to do that, where you have believers and unbelievers, some more mature believers, some less mature believers. I think you're just, when you begin to do that, you're just risking being very unloving and causing confusion among a group of people. Now, if you're with a small group of people and you're all genuinely mature believers and you want to be open to these kind of things, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think there's a time and a place and a setting. And he says, so if you feel led to do it, however, he says, if you do, he says, at least pray that you may interpret, that the Lord would give an interpretation so others can benefit from it. So go to the last few verses and we'll wrap up here for this evening. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my understanding, that is my logical mind, my thinking is unfruitful. It's, it's, it's not understanding 
what's happening. In other words, I'm praying from my spirit, the most deepest part of my being, my inward spirit, and my logical mind doesn't grasp what's going on. It's bypassing my intellect as I continue to carry on in communication to God. What is the conclusion, Paul says, verse 15? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed, who don't know what you're saying, be able to say, Amen? That is, hey, I agree with that. That that, that resonates with me. At your, notice, giving of thanks, as he describes tongues. Since he does not understand what you say, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified, he says. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet, verse 19, in the church. I would rather, Paul says, speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So again, you see Paul's emphasis, this continual theme of the Spirit. Paul says, I, I, I thank God for this gift. And he says, and I utilize the gift. He says, I, I thank my God. I, I speak in tongues. But he says, in the church, in my private devotional life, I, I love to pray in tongues, Paul's saying. In my times alone with the Lord, I, I love at times when, it's, when it's, I feel led to, to to pray in tongues. But Paul says, but in the church, when I come together with all the believers, Paul says, I would rather, he says, speak just five clear, understandable, intelligible words that you can understand or teach something or instruct something because that edifies you, that builds you up and love wants to help other people. Love wants to serve other people, not have the attention of other people. You know, let let me leave you with this thought as we conclude this evening. You notice up in verse 15 where Paul says, what's the conclusion about this gift of tongues, because some of us still, you know, some of you perhaps are hearing some of these things tonight and have thought about this before, and you say, you know what, honestly, like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm totally content with being able to, to use my reasoning and my understanding to sing to God, to pray to God. I, I, I don't need anything more than that. Uh, and look, and if you are, hey, no shame of face. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not a B-class Christian. Don't let anybody make you feel less spiritual if you don't operate in the gift of speaking in tongues, do not let anyone ever make you feel that way. That's not spiritual because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And if a Christian makes another Christian feel inferior because they don't pray in tongues or exercise the gift of tongues, how is that loving? That's not loving. So that's not of the Spirit. So just discount that. But Paul says, I will pray with the understanding, and I will pray with the Spirit, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with understanding. Do you notice that the repeated four times uses will? I will, I will, I will. Here's what I want to tell you. Your will is involved. It is a choice to be open to the gift. It's not a matter of having somebody tell you how to do it. It's not a matter of, well, if you just, as you're praying, kind of loosen up your jaw and loosen up your tongue and maybe kind of just start making a sound and eventually the Holy Spirit's just going to come in and take over your tongue. And then all of a sudden you're just going to, wow, I just didn't. That's not going to happen. That's not what's going to happen. Paul says, I will pray in the Spirit. I will pray in tongues. I will pray with the understanding. That is, he's saying, I can choose when I do it and when I don't do it. 
It's a supernatural ability that the Spirit gives to you, but it's something you can exercise at will when you want to, when you feel led to, when you need to for your spiritual life. But it is a choice to say, Lord, I believe in this. I want this. I want everything you have for me. And Lord, at times I need to be built up and edified. So Lord, if you would have me to exercise that gift, then then I want to be open to it. And for me, I can tell you this in my personal experience, there just came a point in my life where believing these things, understanding these things, I just began to seek the Lord for that. And I just found that as I was in a time of prayer before the Lord, that the Lord just began to impress as I was praying and waiting upon the Lord, just certain, call it what you would, sounds or words that came into my mind and I just began to utter them in faith, believing that it was the Spirit of the Lord. And not letting my understanding say, why are you making those sounds? What, what, what sound is that? What does that mean? Because he says, I'm not supposed to know what it means. My brain doesn't need to know what it means. My spirit and God the spirit knows what I'm saying. And I just began to let the Lord direct me, trusting in faith that it was of the Lord. And so I just encourage you to be open to these kind of things, but also to regulate. It is nothing that's going to take control of you that you can't control. I exercise the gift when I want to. I guarantee you that probably no one in this church or the church I was in prior have ever heard me exercise this gift. I've never felt led to exercise it in front of anyone else. But do I in my personal devotional time? Yes. Do I even in worship meetings with other people? Yes, I do. Discreetly. Quietly. When it's loud enough that everyone else around me is singing, or if I'm standing in a front well and no one else is near me, at times I'll feel led in the midst of worship or prayer to just begin to pray or or to praise the Lord in this gift, but I don't need to do it in such a way that people near me hear me and that it gets their attention because it's just between me and God. And out of love, if I'm pursuing love, I don't want to stumble someone else if they're near me and they're not comfortable with this and therefore I stumble them because it, they're just not fully understanding what's going on. I don't want to do that. So again, just great truths the Word of God give to us to give us clarity in regards to these things. Let's stand together. Let's pray.